media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalms 37. Psalms 37 this morning. Have you ever wondered how much your life has been spent on waiting? I know it seems like we wait a lot, and I wondered about that, so I looked that up. You know, how long do we wait on certain things in a lifetime? And I looked on the Internet, so you know it's true. All these things are exactly true because it was on the Internet. But can you imagine how long we sit at red lights? 336 hours. That's an average over the lifetime. If we take an average of 80 years that we're going to live, maybe two weeks. Now, if you live in a really uh, metro area, it's going to be much more than that. But even out here, kind of somewhat in the country, you know, that's a long time just to be sitting there. And it's just little snippets of, you know, 10 seconds here or 12 seconds here. You add all that up and it begins to accumulate. What about being uh, on the phone on hold? 1,040 hours. Now, again, I don't know who did this. I did find it on the Internet, so I believe to be 100% truth. But it's one of those, I don't know how they did this scientific study, but that's six weeks of your life on the phone, just on hold. I think I spent about half of that six weeks last week with Windstream. So it's one of those things that, depending on who you have as some of your providers for service out there, it may be a little bit increased from that. What about waiting in a doctor's office? You know, I've always thought that was strange. You make an appointment for 9.30. So you would kind of have this expectation that, okay, at 9.30, we're going to see the doctor. And it never happens that way. You know, you're good if it's a 9.30 appointment to get in there. Maybe, maybe by 10 o'clock. But approximately we spend 7,680 hours or 45 weeks of our life in a doctor's office. This last one, I had to make sure that I, I got an appropriate picture that uh, displayed both male and female. Uh, time that we wait on family to go somewhere, to get ready, okay? 32,000 hours, 760, 195 weeks of our life waiting on family. Now, I'm sure that if you have children, you can probably double that, triple that, or quadruple that. Uh, because, you know, it seems like we're always waiting. I don't know how long you had to wait this morning. I don't know who the waiter is and who the, the, the other one who's ready to go out the door in your family. I used to think, and it, say it's male chauvinist, and I, I don't know, I used to think that it was the guys that were getting ready uh, and that we were ready to go, and I found out uh, pretty soon in life that it goes both ways, that, uh, that there's a lot of guys that take just as long as ladies would to, to get ready. But when you, yeah, yeah. and then I found out that once you have kids, it's really negligible anyway at that point because you're always waiting on the kids. There's always one shoe on, one shoe off as you're trying to get everybody in the car. Well, we spend a lot of time waiting. And if we're really honest, waiting is probably one of the most difficult things that we do in our life. And we speak a lot about this in a biblical sense, in a spiritual sense around Advent because Advent is about the waiting for Christ to come. And so the Bible speaks much about waiting. And what we find as we go through Genesis to Revelation is that the people of God are really awaiting people. Even now, we wait. 
We wait for the day that Christ returns and comes and assembles us together before him. And so there's always been this waiting. One day the waiting will end. And one day Christ will fulfill everything. God will fulfill everything that's written in his word. And eternity, if you want to say that sense of eternity will come. But until then, we are awaiting people. There's truth that we have established. And yet there's truth that we're waiting to see the fulfillment of. And that's where faith comes in. In everyday life, waiting is a chore. It's a discipline. It's not. It's a discipline that many of us are not really all that um, well at. And, and we see that even in the biblical sense, even in the spiritual sense. Uh, from the time that God promised Abraham that he would have a son, we have 25 years before that fulfillment comes. You think about people like Joseph. I mean, I, I don't know that you're going to find a more stellar example of faith in the Old Testament than Joseph, of one who just really has this heart for God. Many theologians would say that Joseph is the clearest picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And yet, what do we see? That constantly Joseph is waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's in prison from doing the right thing, and yet he's in prison and he's waiting. And then finally... God has the appropriate time, the appropriate place. He becomes second of control in all of Egypt. And we see the gospel prosper through the the, the life of Joseph. And so here's a, a tough reality, guys. Christians, the people of God, are to be a waiting people. I don't know if you like that. It really doesn't matter if you like it or not. It is the truth. We are a waiting people. And as we go into Psalms 37, we can have, actually have picked about four different psalms this morning to go from. Uh, this is the one that I probably like the most because it just kind of explains not just the, the situation that we're in, but also kind of the remedy to that situation. And so this morning, as you open to, up to Psalm 37, realize this is not the only psalm speaking about waiting on God. Honestly, I could have picked a hundred passages throughout the scripture But since we're in Psalms, we're going to be looking at this. And we begin to see, uh, in fact, all the way down to verse 7. I realize that we go verse by verse and we try to cover it all. We're not going to be able to cover all of Psalm 37 this morning. But uh, go down to to verse 7 because it's really a key friction point. If you've been here at any point in time, you know that one of my favorite spiritual words is friction. Because faith... (laughs) We have this faith, and yet we have the reality of our lives. And where the faith and reality, the promises of God, and the reality of life hit is is usually this friction point called faith. And the friction point that I see in this psalm is in verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. In this psalm, we see that David is writing, and he's writing in the context that there's opposition against him. These are evil people. They seem to be prospering. It's a pretty common theme because it happened a lot in David's life. And so he's responding, and you might say, well, how is this relevant to me? I really don't have evil people trying to, you know, come against me right now. Well, we live in a world that's broken and fallen and evil, and so constantly we're having to confront things that are just not perfect and are not, you know, in their present uh, design, uh, something that is just always good for us. It comes against us. And so in this verse, he says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not. 
And you can really follow afterwards. He's talking about maybe some specific, specific people that are coming against him. But you could put in there anything that you're having to wait on because the principle is the same. And the instruction is be patient and fret not. If you had to grade yourself this morning on a zero to ten, uh, zero being this is not your cup of tea whatsoever, waiting is not one of your strong points, and fretting is... When you get in anxious situations is exactly what you usually do in response. Uh, between zero and ten, ten is that you're perfect. Man, you just turn to faith in God and pray, and you pray 24 hours a day in those stressful situations. Where would you put yourself in the ability to wait, be still, and fret not? Someone say, well, maybe you're in the middle. You know, I've learned over the years to really trust God on these things. And so I'd, I'd, Pastor, I'd give myself a five. Uh, somebody else would say, well, maybe, you know, this is one of my strengths, as a, you know, because I found out that you really don't have a choice. God's going to do it in his way, in his time anyway. So you might as well put your faith in that. And so I'm a seven. And others would say, no, this is probably one of my biggest spiritual struggles. Not so much that I don't believe in a sovereign God. Not so much that I don't believe that God's not going to work things out. But in that time between promise situation and settlement there's fretting and and there's not really a lot of stillness isn't it amazing that stillness and fretting kind of go against each other have you ever seen a a child who is fretting you know to use that word again it's not an everyday word they're not still uh just getting back from my grandchildren's Two of my grandchildren. Uh, my youngest granddaughter, uh, she's four months old yesterday or day before yesterday and always active. And she is one of the calmest babies when she's fed. And she is one of the loudest, most piercing, screaming um, babies to let you know that she needs to be fed. And that's kind of her two modes. There's not an in-between. There's not this, like, just the moan, kind of like, you know, it's either she is all out happy or she is letting you know she needs attention. And so fretting, her fretting, she is not still. I mean, the legs start kicking, the arms start waving. I mean, it's just like a, a baby on fire. I mean, it's like one of those things where you're just going, wow. And I mean, I was holding her one day and Carly was getting the, the, the bottle ready and everything. And so it was just seconds away. Her body was so tense. I mean, I mean, a four-month-old, her body, you could feel the tenseness of her body just as I was holding her. And I tried to, you know, comfort her a little bit by drawing there, uh-uh, that wasn't going to work. Fast forward 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The, the proverbial bottle is getting ready. Seconds away. And yet being still and fretting is as much as our nature sometimes, guys, as it is a baby's nature. Would you agree that fretting and stillness, you know, don't, they're, they're in opposition. That when we begin to worry, when we become kind of consumed with what's going to happen, our need that's before us, that the last thing that we want to do is be still. So which one of those is the hardest for you? Okay, we just named three things. Which one would you say is the hardest for you? Being still, waiting, or not fretting? Or do you just want to say all three? 
Well, God has an answer for that. One of the hardest parts of being still and waiting patiently and fret, not fretting is that sometimes we, we know theologically that this isn't true, but, but check your own heart and your own mind on this, that sometimes we think that God doesn't see it all. God, if you just saw it all, if you just knew what was going on, and so we feel like we have to inform God. Have you ever prayed to inform God of something? I mean, it's this kind of this natural human reaction that we have. God, the lady down the street that is causing so much problems with my kids, and I was, it's like God's going, can you slow up? I'm taking notes. It's like we're informing God of something that he doesn't know. And I'm not trying to be silly with that, but it actually happens. Sometimes in our fretting and our waiting and our lack of being still, it's because we're, we're thinking that somehow God doesn't have all the information. I promise you, not only does he have all the information, he already has a solution. He knows all things. As I'm holding the baby the other day, and she totally is freaking out, tense, from head to toe. I know that the bottle was 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds away. I realize that there's a process and that it's happening and that in 20 seconds, this child is going to go from utter frenzy to utter joy. And it's an amazing thing to watch. When Mimi had the bottle and she gets that bottle, it's like her whole body releases. Not Mimi's, but the baby's. (laughs) All of a sudden, there's just this satisfaction. Well, I knew it was coming. She knew it was coming. But somehow Piper didn't get that message. Folks, is that not an illustration of our Heavenly Father who knows all things, has a plan? Now, here's the thing. We may not always agree with that plan. We may not always want that plan. But God has a plan for our lives. And he has something in each one of these incidences for us. And it's in preparation. And it's coming. And so he instructs us here. Have faith. Be be patient. Be still. Don't fret. How hard it is sometimes to do that. You know, it's it's got kid parents. Have you ever seen a, a a child fret and they got upset with another sibling? If you have more than one child and and they got upset and they want you to know what the other child did and they want you to have immediate justice on that child. Have you ever seen that, parents? You know, one tells the other one, and they're waiting for you to drop the hammer on the brother or sister or whatever it might be. And you know as a parent, okay, I'll deal with that later. It's not that you're ignoring that. Have you ever seen the child, the the tattleteller, the one who happened to have done the right thing perhaps at that point and told them the other one how frustrated they get when they don't see you reacting? Well, you're not going to do anything about this? And you know, a four-year-old telling you as a 34-year-old how you should be parenting this wayward brother or sister that they have. Folks, it happens all the time. And when we see that illustration, it's kind of how we react oftentimes when we want to say, okay, God, if you had all the details, now do something. We want to see justice being done right now. So oftentimes, God will wait. In the same way that a parent will wait and maybe deal with that child individually an hour later, two hours later, five hours later. In the wisdom of that parent, they'll deal with it. They just didn't deal with it in the immediate. 
And yet that other sibling just doesn't understand. And so oftentimes we are that other sibling. We're that one that, God, we informed you that. In fact, I told you everything that you need to do to bring justice right now, to correct this, to bring remedy to this wrong situation. And yet in his sovereignty and his wisdom and his might, God doesn't follow directions. That's the real problem with waiting, isn't it? It's the time factor. Have you ever been in a situation where five minutes might as well have been five years? And other times when three days might as well have been 30 years. That you were not being still. You you were not, you know, not anxious. You were fretting. But when we begin to see this, we see time as the enemy and not the remedy. And yet so oftentimes as we begin to go through our lives, God will use time as part of the process of not only correcting the situation, but bringing maturity to our faith. Years ago, Nabisco, who makes Oreos? Good company, I guess, because they make Oreos. And they, had, they were celebrating their 85th year. And so they had a contest. They were going to give a million dollars to anybody who could stack 85 Oreos on top of one another. Okay? Do you think you could do that? Actually, the, the, the record is much more than 85. See, the catch here is that you had to do 85 Oreos in a stack in 85 seconds. Time became your enemy. So it wasn't like you could just place each one. Because I imagine that if we just had the time this morning, I could call up several of you. And if we had a 100 Oreos here, I could imagine, Nick, I could get you up here. And Andy, I could get you. Or, you know, Drew, you could come up here. And if you took your time, you could probably make a stack of, I'm thinking 90, 100 maybe. If you had plenty of time. But 85 seconds? Well, nobody won that million dollars. Because time was their enemy. And so oftentimes in life, that really does illustrate that it's not that we can accomplish this over time, but we feel the urgency of the moment. Look what God says about time in verses 8 and 9. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Once again, he says, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those that wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. What does that verse say? Well, to go back to David's dilemma, he had enemies and they seemed to be prospering. He thought that God needed to know what was going on, so he informs God of that, and God's already fully aware of it. And he says, basically, in time, David, justice will happen and you will inherit the land. How many of you believe that in the end, because if you've placed your faith and your your trust in the work of Christ, in Christ alone, that that you will receive blessing and that you'll spend eternity in in heaven with God. Do you you believe that? Yeah. Well, we have that belief. And the challenge of our faith, that friction that we talk about, is God, can you give us a bigger portion of that now instead of just later? David had good reason. I mean, David... uh, as many great things he did for God, he had sin in his life because of that sin, that sin continually kind of came back and uh, it, it, he did kind of 
reap what he had sown. And there was constant trouble in his family. His own son tries to kill him. Others try to get against him. I mean, David spent a lot of time on the run. And even though David had done a lot of right things and had lived righteously before God, it seems like his old sin kept on coming back and that put him on the run a lot of times. And so he would pray, God, will you bring about justice? Will you let the evil people just you know, be demolished, take them out of the picture? In other words, get rid of my problem so that I can enjoy life. How natural is that? I promise you, if I have a problem in my life, that's the natural response. God, get rid of my problem. How many of you ever prayed for a problem to stick around so that you could grow in maturity and patience? God, you know, this is not one of my strong areas, and so here's what I'm praying, God. Will you allow this to just kind of fester for an hour, for a day, for a month, for a year? Because one of the things I desire is patience and trust and faithfulness. Said no one ever. It's one of the challenges of our faith. And yet God puts here, he says, look again, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. In other words, uh, when you're trying to take, take care of this and make it happen in your time, guess what happens? It usually ends up causing trouble. Verse 9, for the evildoer shall be cut off. He said, here's the promise. Justice will be done. But those that wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. God, in his time, will remedy the situation. And part of our sense of this urgency, our fretting in times of waiting, is that we fail to really focus on the promises of God in the long run. In fact, go all the way back to verse 1 and 2. What's the first word you see in verse 1? Fret. He uses that a lot. That's why I decided not to change it and use the word fret. I said, if God's going to use that three or four or five times in this chapter, I I might as well go with that. And and even though it's not a common word for us, we know what it means. Verse 1 and 2, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. See that word soon in verse 2, for they will soon fade. How many of you would agree that your definition of soon and God's definition of soon are often on different time frames? It's kind of like hospital time. The doctor will be with you in about five minutes. And if he comes in in the next hour, you have won the lottery, okay? It's just a whole different time. Imagine back in Jamaica, island time. I'll get to it. When? Today, tomorrow, the next day. There's just a whole different island mindset, this ocean mindset, this, this beach mindset that, okay, we'll get to it. And sometimes we think that God is kind of has this mindset and that his soon is different from our soon. And I would totally agree. My soon is when? Now. God's soon, as he looks at all eternity, is in the perfection of his time. Let me ask you a really, really, I hope, penetrating question. When we want our soon instead of God's soon, and we would trade off God giving a remedy now that's not part of his time frame, what are we losing? A lot of things. 
when we're not trusting his version of soon, we, we lose something, guys. It could be a vital lesson. It could be maturity. It could be that, that situation working out in an entirely different way. I mean, let's go back to Abraham. Abraham goes, okay, you promised me a son. And, and, and Abraham's version of soon was probably nine months. Okay, in nine months, I, I want a little baby boy. You promised me a baby boy. You said I was going to be the father of all these nations. And so it may be in Abraham's mindset, he's thinking as, as few as just that, that time of birth. And, and nine months later, he's going to have a little baby boy. And it doesn't happen in nine months. And it doesn't happen in nine years. And so what does Abraham do? He puts his version of soon in the place of God's version of soon. And as we have said many, many times before, because this is a repetitive foundational kind of theme throughout the Bible, is that still affecting the world even today? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So how do we wait for God soon? I mean, he uses that. I mean, Jesus, he says, he tells them before he ascends up to heaven, he tells all the disciples, I'm coming back for you. Soon. And they really, you look at the New Testament writers, they're thinking he's coming back, that they're going to wake up in the morning. They're looking at the sky. They're going, okay, he's coming back. And now it's been 2,000 years. Is that your version of soon? Is it God's version of soon? Do you think God was lying? Do you think God is being unfaithful? Or do you think that in all the complexity of all of time, all of eternity, that God hands it, holds in his sovereign hand that Christ is coming back soon? See, from that eternal perspective, that word soon really does mean soon. And yet here we are 2,000 years and it's not soon enough. Does that make sense? That when we deal with that, whether we're talking about spiritual people like Abraham and Joseph and you know the return of Christ, or where we're talking about our own lives, that, that we have these promises of God, and yet we define them a little bit differently than what God has defined them. And, and so at that point, who, who's right in their definition? I think you would know the answer to that one. God's going to be right, and our definition of sin is going to be wrong. That's why the instructions that we find in verses 3 through 5 are so important. God tells us in here three things. Actually, we can add a fourth in that's combined with that fourth one. But look at verses 3, 4, and 5. And this is the instruction. How do we become people that can begin to be still, have faith, and fret not in times of waiting? How do we do that? But we're going to find out that it's only possible through the Lord. And I, you know, guys, I realize that you're going to, well, of course it's going to be through the Lord. Now, I, I'm serious. This is not a human skill that we were born with and then we hone. This is a spiritual endeavor. 
Some of you are more patient than others. Some of you have a little bit of a leaning to the patient side and you don't fret, you don't get wiped out over something. Others, the minute something does, you know, happens that you don't like, that trouble comes, you start fretting. I realize that we have this barometer, but folks, the only way that we have maturity here is not honing a human skill. It is a spiritual endeavor. Notice how David writes us. Notice what God tells us in verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Is that just to sound spiritual? No, trust where, where you place your trust. In the Lord. And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Is he just, you know, is that just a phrase that he's hanging on to? Or is there something that we need to understand about this is if we're to truly fret not, if we truly are to have faith and be still and trust in God, then, then this comes from a trust, a delight, and a commitment that is not in circumstances, but in God, in the very character of God, in the very sovereignty of God, in the very wisdom of God, and the very Love of God. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. That's the secret of waiting well. It all comes back to the character of God. To know that trusting that God is fully aware and that he's fully working. That you don't have to inform him through prayer. You don't have to kind of sit there and give God the inside track that he's aware and that he is working. One of my quotes from John Piper that I like a lot, I think it came out of, I think he first said this in a tweet maybe in about 2012. And uh, just I don't know, it's always stuck with me. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. Have you ever heard that before? Again, that's John Piper. That's not scripture. Okay, that's just a man who knows things about God, who's tried to follow God. and But I think there's a lot of truth in that. That I see maybe three things that God is doing, and I'm suggesting five more. And all the while, God is doing 10,000 things. Have you found that to be true in your spiritual life? That your awareness does not fully capture all that God is doing. And usually it is time that tells us that. How many of you have three months later, six months later, two years later looked back and said, oh my goodness, God was putting down this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece. I wasn't aware of it. I was only aware of, she was getting on my nerves. And I was aware of the trouble, but I wasn't aware that God was bringing about a solution that he was doing it in his time. Look again at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. How do do we apply this? We're told to be still before the Lord. In the Hebrew, that word, that phrase that's used there, you're not going to like this. The little phrase in the Hebrew says, be silent and grow dumb. Why do you think God would say, be silent and grow dumb? 
that's not rhetorical. Somebody can answer that. Well, why, why do you think that God would use this phrase when he says, okay, to, to be still before the Lord, that the actual Hebrew says, not only the silence part, but to grow dumb. Because we're trying to figure it out. We're cal- Are you a calculator? Man, aren't we calculators, guys? And you know, there's a, a fine line between calculation and manipulation. Would you agree? And oftentimes when trouble comes to my life and God says, okay, trust me, you know, there's this friction point of faith. My calculating goes into manipulating. Is that just me? Am I alone in this dilemma? Or have you ever done that? Cross the line from your calculation to try to manipulate the situation. And so part of God saying here, be silent and grow dumb is, guys, it's, it's two things. Number one, it's a confession. God, I don't know it all. And that's a good confession, guys. But please get this. Please get this. Along with this confession is also a release. God, because I don't know it all, help me to keep my, help, help me to be silent and grow dumb and just trust you. He's not calling so much for ignorance there as much as he is. Stop this constant trying to manipulate. And that's probably one of the greatest challenges to our faith that we ever have. One of the pinnacles of arrogance that we have in our relationship with God is that somehow our angle, our insight, is going to give God some clues to make a better decision. Now, we would never say that. I don't think that we would agree with that theologically. But how oftentimes have we truly tried to become the fourth member of the Trinity? Where we truly have trying to go, okay, God, here's how I'm seeing it. In my calculations, I, I've kind of looked at this. I mean, isn't that like the epitome of arrogance to a holy God who knows all things, who's perfect and sovereign over all things? And yet it happens to us naturally. I promise you it happened to you and to me last week. In some situation, I promise you at least once, we began to calculate and then we began to manipulate instead of being still and trusting God. One of the hardest spiritual disciplines of our life. Secondly, we're told here to wait patiently. And that requires for us to change our mind about time. Tristan, how do you cook that brisket? Low and slow. And what happens if you try to, okay, we're hungry, And I'm going to cook that brisket in four hours instead of 24 hours. Oh, it's edible. But it doesn't work all the the perfections of that meat and the fat rendering and all those kind of things. Now I'm hungry. Now I want to... (laughs) Any, you know, barbecuers, smokers, you know, do you understand that? Man, you, you take the time, you go low and slow, and there's something that happens. And I think that there's a lot of times that, that we, we serve a God who's much more of a low and slow God than a microwave God. And the reason is not because he just wants to say, I just want to see how long they can wait. <laughs> it's not this manipulation from his vantage point. It's a growing from our vantage point. Truth is, guys, we live in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen all the time. And bad things are going to happen 
to good people, even though none of us are good. And so we're going to want justice. We're going to want remedy. We want things to work out. God, do something. And yet God has made this promise. We See, here's one of our dilemmas. We see waiting time as wasted time. I like to do things. I don't like sitting still. Craig, I'm looking at you, brother. Do you see waiting time as wasted time? As I've grown older, I've learned. As you've grown older, yeah. It, there's a part of maturity that just kind of happens. Okay, this is in time. Yes. <laughs> and give suggestions? Yeah. <laughs> no, it is a maturing thing. It is, it's one of those things that happens, guys. And we see waiting time as wasted time. I, I promise you, I promise you. But more than that, God promises you that no time is ever wasted in waiting. We will not be able to file that agenda when we get to heaven one day and stand before our holy God and say, God, you know, there's about five times that I was waiting and I think that you truly wasted some time. Knowing the perfection of our God and the sovereignty of God, it was like, here's the thousand things that I was doing as you were waiting. And here's the end result that would not have been the end result had I microwaved it rather than just gone low and slow and develop in my perfect timing. 28 times in the Old Testament, we're told to wait. In every one of those times that the scripture tells us to wait, God is always the object of the sentence. Not the situation, not the thing, God. And that's why we're told back there to, to trust in him, to, to have our, our joy in him. It's all about him and trusting him. So how do we do this without fretting night? Let me give you one other psalm that talks about this. I think it sums it up pretty good. Psalm 62, verse 1 and 2. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. What is the psalmist telling us there? When we wait on him, when we find our joy in him, our delight in him, all of a sudden we find the secret is our confidence in God and it takes our eyes off of the situation. Uh, Pastor, is that even humanly possible? Only in the spiritual sense. Only in the spiritual sense. I'm not going to mature and grow. Craig, you're saying, no, maybe handle this a little bit better. That's probably a maturity in Christ and on all this. And so in human development, maybe we do learn as we get older, hey, just let it take time, take time. Maybe we can learn to a certain measure that on a human level. But this is a spiritual matter. And I promise you that what he's talking about here is the spiritual solution and not just you becoming a more patient person. It truly is taking your eyes off the situation, off of your manipulation, and putting it into a sovereign God's, your trust implicitly to him. Implicitly to him. 
And so this week, when the challenge comes, and you're the little brother or sister that goes tells daddy or mommy, this is what he did, this is what she did, and then you're disappointed because mommy or daddy does an exact judgment right at that moment, and you think the whole system just broke, trust in a heavenly father that's taking care of business. It's doing a thousand things when you may be aware of at most three things. And then his promise is true, but his promise is true in that he's going to do it soon, but that his definition of soon is the best definition of soon that there ever is. And that any definition of soon that wavers from that, when I try to shorten that, is going to be a shortened version and it's going to cost me something. Maturity, trust, faith, maybe the, the situation exploding. Trust in God's character. Trust in his definition of soon. And you will find yourself less and less fretting and more and more trusting instead of manipulating. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I I confess my sin of manipulation. I can't imagine how many times, Father, you could look back on my life today, Father, and and Father, when I fretted and I became anxious and I began to manipulate the situation because in my calculation, this was what was happening and you just weren't either doing the right thing or you weren't doing it fast enough. Father, I I can imagine that you know the exact number of that today. And if I would guess 10,000, you would say, no, it's actually 77,412, Bobby. And yet you've been patient. And you've been kind. You've been steadfast in that rock, in that tower, in that refuge that David speaks of in Psalm 62. So, Father, I thank you for your faithfulness in spite of my lack of faithfulness. But Father, I I confess to you this morning, I want to be this man. Tired of fretting. And I want to be still and trust in you. So Father, thank you for your past patience. Will you mature and grow us? Father, will you help us more and more and more focus on you. For the only answer that you gave here, Father, is all found in your wisdom, your strength, and your sovereignty. This is our hope. You proved it by Jesus Christ. You've now given us your very spirit so that we can even think this way. Father, will you grow us spiritually? We love you and we thank you, Father. As we pray all this in the hope that is Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.